Hello, beautiful human. Thank you for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. We're stoked to have you be a part of the conversation changing shit you don't want to talk about into shit to talk about. This show was created to have us open our minds and learn about new perspectives even when we don't agree with them. Please be advised. Episodes can discuss content that is not suitable for all listeners and it can be triggering. Opinions of our guests expressed on the show are their own. They do not necessarily represent the views of myself or the show. There are a few ways we could really use your support. Please share your favorite episode, especially send them to someone that could really use the content we talked about. Donate on PayPal and Patreon, subscribe and rate the show, iTunes and Spotify, and follow on social media and join the conversation. It's shit to talk about. That's shit, the number two, talk about. Links are in the episode description. Hey, Scott, thank you for joining Shit You Don't Want to Talk About. Please introduce yourself and what shit you want to talk about. My name's Scott Graham Stevens, and I'm an author and a business and career coach. And one of the things I'd like to talk about today is my latest book. Actually, this book was published on June 22nd of last year. So it's been around for a while. So it's not new, but it is new because it's a... it's only a few months old. Well, congratulations on that. And Thank you. It's my 15th book. I'm working on number 16 right now. So. I mean, for someone like myself, I love to talk, but sometimes I always wonder if I'll ever run out of things to talk about. But 15 books, are they, what are their ranges? Are they all one topic? No, I, I write on what I'm interested in and what compels me. So there's everything from... This book, Come As You Are, which is about grief and loss. And uh, uh, there's a book about Good King Henry, which is a gardening book and includes recipes. I know. And there's a book about time management, a book about managing your LinkedIn profile for it to be more effective. Uh, There's a book about careers. Uh, I'm working on a book about hiking. Uh, I write what I want to write about. Otherwise, I would have written one book <laughs> and if I write what I want to write about I'm I'm I, you know I'm, I'm working on my 16th now so my goal you- is 100. Oh my goodness well you are definitely starting and on the way I am Con- I am congratulations and and you know most people see it as a big task like I can look at your face and you're like wow but you know I think of the same thing when I think of wow look at she does these podcasts every, you know, and their video. And she does, I could never do that. I could never do that. I could be well, a guest yes. and come talk about shit, but I couldn't talk to people <laughs> week after week about their shit like you can, which is oh, thank impressive. You. Thank you. And I, I definitely feel that way about writers because I've, uh, I'm horribly dyslexic. So that's why I'm always like, you write books? That is so cool. And the first thing I ask is, are any of them on Audible or audiobooks? They are. Yes. They are. Perfect. And this book, this book is particularly good on Audible. Um, there is a, there's a chapter in this book that is, is lovingly referred, well, we can, we're, this is the shit you want to talk about. So there's a chapter in this book that is lovingly referred to as the fuck you chapter. Um, because I say, I wrote fuck you over and over and over again. And um, I really looked high and low to find a person who was skillful enough to say, fuck you 30 different ways. And, and the guy who does the narration of this book, Ted Brooks, uh, was the only one that could really be like, yeah, you know what? fuck you and then the next one he's like yeah well like i said before fuck you i mean really (laughs) we'll talk about the fuck you chapter because that's that is a big piece of the shit you don't want to talk about and i was just about to say so i i don't know if this one's necessarily an interest of yours for this book as much as you know life happens. So tell us a bit of the story behind this book and how you got there. So about 25 months ago, 
Um, I was finishing up of a Pashna meditation retreat, which is a 10 day silent retreat uh, that, you know, there's no calls, no nothing while you're on that retreat. And um, on the day that the retreat ended, I found out that you know, something, something was amiss. Something was not the way it was supposed to be. And um, I discovered just hours after the course ended that my husband of 31 years had died in an automobile accident. Um, and uh, that was... So that was 25 months ago. So that was three days before Christmas, December 22nd. And um, like I said, this book was published on, um, on June 22nd of last year. I did it 18 months to the day after Brian's death that the book was released. And um, the, you know, I, right after he died, like literally like um, maybe two months, right? It was like COVID mania, like the world stopped. And so then, then there's grief and loss in isolation, Yeah. right? And so the, the book is, is part memoir. It talks about, um, you know, what worked, what things didn't, what things didn't work, what things I didn't like, that happened um, during that period around support. That's the fuck you chapter. Uh, and then uh, it, it has some very pragmatic stuff in it around meditation, because I've been practicing Vipassana and Anapana and, um, and Metavana meditation for quite some time, 20, 30 years. And it includes some strategies that people can put in place around grieving and loss with that. And then I decided to include in the book, um, I call it Grief Unplugged. The last maybe quarter of the book is a very raw, unedited journaling piece that I just published as I wrote it. Run on sentences, misspell. In fact, I have, in fact, I had an editor for the book and she was working on those pieces and she edited all that whole section. She rewrote sex sentence. I'm like, you, no, no, no. This, this section, I want to just really reflect what I was going through when I was doing those journal. I did 30 days of journaling in this piece and I included every single journal entry as it, as it was. And so then I had to get all the pages and pay somebody else to go back and take all the things that she had edited and put it back in the runoff sentences, the misspelled, you know, because I was, I'm writing, I'm crying or I'm doing something. And it's, it just, uh, I wanted to put something out there that was validating for people who are experiencing loss. And, and so that, that's why I included that piece. And so. Everything we're talking about right now is definitely some heavy shit. And and I I feel like my my go-to just like in a response is I'm so sorry for your loss. And I'm curious because you have the the fuck you chapter and and you've when during our intro call we did get a, a bit into it and at least it, for for yourself, what what do you want people to say when, when you tell them about it, about Brian passing? The, the worst thing that somebody can say is I'm so sorry for your loss. It's, 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 I know, sorry, sorry. Um, no, no, actually the worst thing that somebody could say much worse than that is all things happen for a reason. And the thing that's even worse than that is he's in a better place um, or at least he had a great life together or, you know, at least he sucked, didn't suffer or it's better off. He died instead of surviving because there was a fire and it would have been really hard to go through that. Or, you know, you'll see him again when you go to heaven um, assuming that I'm going to heaven because, you know, after this podcast, I may have sinned enough that I won't go to heaven. I don't know. <laughs> or that I even believe in heaven. 
um, or telling me that that's what Jesus wanted or that's what God wanted and all a host of things. Now, these are all things in the fuck you chapter, interestingly, that starts off with, I'm so sorry, which is probably, you know, that's the thing most people say. And mm-hmm. it's, and it's, uh, it is the equivalent of um, somebody coming up to well, you. If someone came up to you and said, hi, Jen, how are you? What would you say? I'm well, probably, if it was a stranger walking down the street or you bumped into someone, hi, Jen, how are you? What would you say? Good. Good. Fine. Right? Right? Yeah. How's things going? All right. Right? It's the equivalent of that around grief and loss and, and does nothing. It does nothing to the person, uh, for the person who is in, who's grieving. It's just... It just is a verbal hallmark card that people sh- shoot out at people who are grieving and think that's just, I'm all set because I said, I'm sorry for your loss. And, you know, from complete strangers or from bankers. So what do you say? What do you say? Like, how about, that's fucking awful. because. That's the truth. Um, that's horrible because that's the truth, right? Or holy crap, I have no, I, 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 I'm speechless because that's the truth. Or I don't know what to say because that's I'm, the truth. I'm pretty sure that's what happened during our intro call. I was like, follow up on that one because yeah. that is Work. heavy I think heavy is the best best word like it's it is horrible and it's so shitty yeah. and people don't know how to like support with grief or like not all of us have gone through grief in in such a hard fashion in such a uh, a big uh, relationship that I think a lot of people don't know how to also relate with that empathy of it you can say that. I have no idea how to relate to this, but I want to support you. Um, I have, I've not, I've not lost anyone in my life yet. I can't imagine what that's like, but I want to support you. And then shut up. (laughs) And, and because the piece that the piece that is it is so disrespectful and disingenuous for people to think that their fucking words of a sentence in a hallmarky platitudey kind of bullshitty way are somehow going to make everything much better it is totally totally disrespectful to the person who's grieving yeah and and that just minimizes and brushes away their experience because the assumption is that oh you know all kinds of bullshitty stuff that we're taught that you know oh you're gonna either we're we're taught either one of two things um the first one is and they're both bullshit the first one is that there's these stages of grief that you go through a person named elizabeth kubler ross wrote a book for terminally ill people terminally ill not people who who are grieving and she identified stages that they went through in their acceptance of a terminal illness. She wrote a book about it, Death and Dying. You know, denial, bargaining, anger, acceptance. You know, she she wrote this book about that piece. And then it got hijacked by would-be psychiatrists and, and counselors to say, okay, this is what everybody goes through. And so, you know, there's this assumption that there's this piece of like, 
I don't know, that you go through in grief, yeah. right? Step one, step two, step three, step four, we're done, ah, goodbye. And that's total bullshit. There's nothing in life that works that way. There is nothing in life that works that way. You know, they think it's, it's like college, to do, to do, to do, to do. But you know, the truth is that the, the real piece is what do we go to college for? What did you go to college for? What'd you go to, what uh, did you go to high school for? What was the purpose with that, Jen? <laughs> uh, to drop out. <laughs> I, I, I kid on that one uh, because my parents told me so and I would uh-huh. uh, get arrested. And what was the goal it. of that? What was the goal of that too? To educate me on something. I'm not sure To what. educate you on something, right? To learn, right? Mm-hmm. And since you have finished college and high school and all that other stuff, have, have you ceased to learn? Is learning over? Nope. Right. Learning continues, right? Grief continues for folks. And for folks to treat it like, you know, your four years of college and a fifth year to get your master's degree for the five-step process for grief just trivializes it, just trivializes it. So that's the first fallacy. And then the second uh, piece that comes out is that our society really has this thing about happiness. I don't know where it came from. But, you know, there there's this piece that, you know, what, what are we here for to be happy? And people are really uncomfortable. Like I bet when I was talking a few minutes ago and got all emotional, I bet I could see it in your face. I bet I can, you know, if I could see your viewers right now, I could see it in their faces. It's not something that people are comfortable with. They I think want- for my... Yeah, but for myself, I, I can say only for myself, of course, but it's it's that feeling of the want to comfort yet knowing and this is something I went through a um, Matthew Hussey retreat and they it it's like a five day retreat all women that they make you like go through a bunch of shit and they were like do not comfort touch talk to someone crying or going through their shit because they may not want you to touch them. They may not want you to talk to them or comfort them. They need to go through it. And I know for myself and even the expression that you saw, it was, I want to comfort. I want to give you a hug. I want to, you know, make it better. And because it's, it's hard. You're a hundred percent right. It is so hard watching someone go through that and without, and feeling so powerless no matter if you're someone close or if you're a complete stranger, it's like, but I don't want them to hurt. So yes, a hundred percent. It's, and to your earlier point of it's bullshit. Words aren't going to fix anything. Neither is a hug. I mean, it might a little bit. I feel like hugs do a little bit help, but it matters on the person. And there's, there's a, there's a, there's an assumption on this. When you said I want to make it better, Mm -hmm. right? That's what you just said. I want to make Mm -hmm. it better. The -hmm. assumption is that that expression of emotion is wrong or bad, right? You want to make, you want to get rid of the bad and make it better, right? I got bad grades. I want to get better grades. You know, Mm -hmm. I got, I'm bad at running. I want to be better at running, right? It goes along with those things. I'm, I want to be a better cook. Well, what's the assumption between being a better cook? Well, it means that you probably, you know, have food poisoned some of your families on occasion. Um, I'm laughing because uh, I'm literally learning to cook. So um, I see, did not learning kill continues. them. Like, learning yes. continues. I did not kill them last night. <laughs> I did succeed at that. I did not. They are still alive. Right, uh, right. <laughs> and, and it is, it is that like wanting to comfort and And I am curious just to dig into that a little bit more. Is it the fact that people just want to take away the pain? Because that's where I feel like I want to comfort because I want to take away the pain because I don't like seeing people hurt. And that's assuming that it's bad. I was just laughing right now about your cooking, right? I know. Yeah. And you didn't even react to the laughing piece. 
right? It was just because people like the good feelings. We want us all to be, you know, ha- we everybody, and this is the other myth of, of, of that we're fed around grief. The other myth is that either you're going to go through these stages and then it's going to be behind you, which it never is. Um, or that you're going to go through these stages and then you're going to come out on the other side. You're going to see unicorns. You're going to be farting rainbows. You're going to be full of bliss <laughs> and joy and the world's and, and you are going to have such an appreciation and joy for life because of what, you, what a blessing that you went through this. And now you understand the burp, <laughs> right? And just it's, it's, and it's and it's all grounded in this piece of God. We don't want to we don't want to be there when someone else is is sad and crying. And so the best thing you can do if someone sat is being sad or crying or is to be there, be a witness. You can put their arm around them. Your arm around them. It that that can be a grounding piece for somebody, right? You can put your arm around them, not take away what they're experiencing, but to be close to them and be a part of what they're experiencing. And you might cry too, just because you're that close. And and adding to that, something that I had to learn the hard way of not knowing how to be there, but also just asking, do you want me to stay? Do you want me to go? How can I be there for you? And it's scary asking that because I feel it's it's like I should know how to fix it already. And that's as you were just saying, I should I feel like I should fix it. And because there's not, something broken. And there's no nothing broke. I'm not broken. Exactly. And it's it's that you can't feel joy unless you feel pain. And we keep trying to muddle the pain and get rid of it. So we're not fully feeling joy either. Right. And how did you, I mean, within what, six months you wrote your book and that takes well, a lot of courage. It, I worked on it for about eight months to a year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? I forget so. that we're in 2022 now in like 2021. <laughs> I forget that 2020 even happened. You know, I think that's a lot of it. It's all a blur with COVID. It just feels like (laughs) a big blob of jelly. Yes. Yes. I'm, you know, mixing up my COVID years. Uh, Okay. So you were working on it for, you said eight months. That's still, that's still, how was it therapeutic or cathartic to be able to share your story with others? It's, it's, see, the assumption again is that, you know, therapeutic means that something that needs to be fixed or cathartic means you get, get through that. What, what is powerful about sharing the story with others is that I'm hoping people will not have to endure what I went through in terms of the wacky support um the platitudes um the disappearing support let me tell oh, I you was, oh i was gonna there. ask you it's, about that yeah, two months we've done whatever and i'm here for you and this and that and then you know i had somebody say to me six months after brian died are you ready this is a quote you're still not over him Oh my God. You're still not over him? Now I bet there are people listening to this that would never say that, but I bet there are people that look that would think that. Maybe not at the six month mark, but maybe at the year mark, at the two year mark, at the five year mark, that would be I, like, oh man, he needs therapy because he's still attached to that. One of my best friends died in high school and I feel really old now. It was almost 20 years ago. And granted, I don't cry on every birthday anymore when she has a birthday, but there's still times where 
it hits me out of nowhere that more than anything, when I talk about her, I start tearing up because she was such a good influence on my life. And that just, that I think is, it's heartbreaking to know that she wasn't my significant other. I was a kid, I was 15. And for someone to say that to you, how did that, how did you respond at the moment? And did that go into the fuck you chapter? It did go in the fuck you chapter and I did say fuck you in the moment. I did say fuck you in the moment on that piece. And you know, you you, you just hit up. Time out really, really quick. Listeners, you hear a squeal in the background. Oh, did that pig squeal again? I think I heard him and I got really excited and I didn't want them to like anyone watching or like hear me like get all about it uh he rescues pigs and uh scott rescues all sorts of animals and it's a very cute pig i got to see pictures okay please continue i just really wanted to let them know if they hear the squeal and i'm excited you have a pig so part of the part of the trajectory of my relationship with Brian, um especially in the last 10 years was just a a connection and compassion for animals. And so when he was alive um, with um, two sources of income, we did our own little rescuing piece and had rescued donkeys and alpacas and sheep and a couple of pigs. And, um, and, you know, we were active as foster parents for the Humane Society and helped with cats and dogs, too. But we really took over this rescue farm animal piece because um, we um, it's a piece that's not addressed in most humane societies. Right. They, they want dogs or cats. Right. And if you stroll in to the Humane Society with your you know, minivan and come into there with a donkey, they're not going to know what to do with the donkey. Um, You can fit a donkey in a minivan? You know what? When I brought my donkeys, uh, uh, well, they're my, they're companions. I brought them, I brought two donkeys back here, rescued them in a little Kia Sportage. I know, I know. That is impressive. I'm, that is yes, impressive. That is- we got them in, shut the hatch back down. The only thing I regret not doing, and I wish I had done, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't have the Sportage anymore. That was years ago. And, you know, they're, getting them in a vehicle would not be easy at this point. But the only thing I wish I had done was gone through the drive through at McDonald's or Burger King. Because <laughs> they were, they had their heads out the window like a dog while I was going down the road. Um, So Brian and and I had much compassion for animals and saving them. And uh, after he died, the the piece for me, you know, we we did it on our own. So after he died, the piece for me was uh, actually following through. We had planned to have a not-for-profit for for many years, but we never got around to it because we're busy with other stuff. And after he died, one of the things I did in the first three months was to set up a not-for-profit and have a place where people could donate, volunteer, come and help out. And so in many ways, Brian's been replaced, not replaced, but his shoes have gotten filled in through people's donations through people's efforts to come and volunteer. I had a volunteer come a couple of weeks ago and she helped me tra- uh, trim the donkey hooves, um, which is not an easy task to do. Um, but it's you know part and parcel of doing this type of work. And Brian and I used to do that together. And so now it's a two person task. One person has to hold the donkey hoof and the other person has these ginormous donkey you know, hoof clippers to, um, trim their, because basically hooves are like nails. So, and if you don't trim them, they get really long and nasty and potentially infected. And um, and so they got to be trimmed every month or two or three, some point, depending on what they're doing and running around. So um, anyway, we formed, a, we formed a rescue, not-for-profit rescue to be able to um, 
give me the support. So Brian's Brian's still alive in many ways I, because that vision. Well, he's alive because I rescued that pig, right? Yeah. So on on that, like I feel, or I've heard, or I've seen books and movies and people in my own life that if somebody passes away that they were really close to, they can distance themselves from what they shared with that individual, uh, such as like stopping a rescue because it was too painful. Yeah. Uh, was that something that you went through of that debate? Was it something that No, you... it wasn't it wasn't even a um you know uh I think this is maybe a unique thing that many couples don't do because many couples are just focused on, I don't know, the day-to-day stuff, dishes, sex, vacations, you know, Game of Thrones, whatever. Um, And, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about um, how we wanted to be as a couple and where we wanted to go individually and where we wanted to go together and what our collective vision was for our life to make it meaningful. And this wasn't just a once in a while conversation. We talked about this a lot. You know, we said, you know, how uh, how, how are we going to be there in each other's lives? Um, and so we, I knew like there was, there was like no question, like somebody got really, you know, it was like, oh, well, you know, that's a choice. I'm like, there's, there is no choice to start this rescue. There's no choice because that's who we were. That's what we believed in. That was our core value. So to say, you know, oh, that was, it's, it, it, we often would say that in terms of our relationship, um, we were we were on a plane and we threw away the parachutes because so often in relationships, you know, you're I'm committed to you. I love you, but I'm not all the way in because if there's problems with the plane, I'm jumping out because I have a parachute. Um, and we actually would say to each other, I'm going to, um, you know, those the, the parachutes are gone and I've got your back no matter what it is. So, um, you know, Brian, I, when I knew something was up and I knew that he had died, I did not know um, how he had died. Um, I knew it was a car accident and I thought, you know, I didn't know what had happened. Um, but uh, I um, strapped in that's, that's, I'm telling you to strap in. So I, I'm an EMT and a firefighter. Um, and I volunteer, I've been volunteering that for years. And so, um, and Vermont's very small and people know each other. And it's not like this wouldn't happen in the big city at all. Um, and so, um, you know, I was driving up to, and I and and I knew that he had a car accident, and I and I wanted to, I wanted to. We were almost on the way there, and I write that I talk about this in the book. We were I, a friend came with me, and because um, I was at her house for breakfast, and she came with me, and we were almost on the way, and I I couldn't figure out why the detectives um, uh, were still there. Why they, you know, I thought he'd be gone, and you know, I'd go home and figure out where his body was, and have you know a funeral and um and I you know I thought he had frozen to death this was in December in Vermont very cold and um we were partially on the way there and um I called the detective again and I'm like what's what's going on and they're like we're waiting for the fire investigator to show up from Bennington because Vermont's a very small state. There's only a, you know, three or four fire investigators. 
I'm like, oh, I said, uh, is he still on the scene? And they said, uh, yeah. And I said, well, I want to come by the scene. I want to see what happened. And um, I don't think that's a good idea, he said. And I said, look, you know, I'm a firefighter. I'm an EMT. I've seen, you know, pretty horrific things. And um, I'm going to be fine. It's like, well, you know, you don't know what this is like. You know, it's your, it's your, your spouse. And it's going to be hard. And I said, yeah, I know. He said, well, let, let's talk about it. And so um, I rolled up on the scene and um, they had called me just before that. And they said, um, you can see his body and you can come on the scene, but we got to let you know the body's really badly burned. And um, so I got, I got on the scene and you know, I pulled up, I got a red, big red pickup, Ford pickup truck. Looks like a firefighter's truck in rural Vermont. You know, I turned on my fire lights on. I went up and they had questions as to, in trying to figure out what had happened. And the car was beyond demolished. It was just, it was, it was a green car and it was white from the heat of the fire. And, um, you know, I walked up to the um, detective and talked to him and, you know, I really had, I was really in great composure, you know, all things considered. And, you know, I said, you know, I, I explained what happened. I said, I really want to see the body. You know, I really, need, I need to see it. And he's like, well, he's, he's over there. And he was like outside of the car um, under a yellow tarp because that's, you know, part of the procedure. And I was like, well, how is he outside of the car? Because I was expecting him to be in the car. And um, I got to, I'm like, I, I really need to see him. So I, he said, you want to go, can you identify him? And um, so I was able to go past the yellow police crossing. They let me pass the yellow police crossing onto the snow where he was and he wasn't facing me but he was facing the car like and his and his right hand was outstretched towards the car he was kind of laying on his side i could see the back of his head he was completely naked all of his clothing was completely burned away and his body was incredibly badly burned and his hair was yellow. Um, but you know, we'd slept next to each other for 31 years. So I knew it was him. I mean, it was his car, but and I mean, I knew it was him. And I said to the officer, I'm like, yeah, that's him. And um, I said to the officer, because he was, I knew Brian was going to be cremated and taken to be, you know, for an autopsy. And even if he wasn't cremated, he would have been in the casket uh, and buried. And I said to the officer, you know, I, I need to touch him. <laughs> and tell him that I love him. And he said, no, you can't do that. It's a crime scene. We don't know. And I said, I don't care. And they could have stopped me, but they let me put my hand on his shoulder and say goodbye. And I'm so grateful that I could be with him at that point and that these police and firefighters and detectives you know gave me that permission to say goodbye to him i i can still see him and and see that and feel that and feel him and I would not have had that if it wasn't for those people at the scene letting me go past the do not cross 
line. And these are tears of gratitude. You know, often we cry and, and share emotions. And I'm, these are the tears of gratitude for that peace. How? And I, I honestly, that's hard to know, even like what we talked about earlier, like where to start or what to say afterwards. And the first thing that does come to mind is how do you learn what is gratitude for something like that and not pain? I can feel it in my heart. I can feel it in my heart. If there's a piece of, of where I feel blessed that I got to do that. It's, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I actually feel gratitude for my grief. I feel I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you're talking about your friend that you went to school with, right? 20 years ago and you still cry. Why is that? That's because she had a profound influence and she touched your heart in a very deep, meaningful way. And those that what you're feeling right now, when you think of her and you and, and what you feel, that's that's an indication of how deep your relationship was. People die all the time. People die all the time. Look at all the thousands of people die today. I've shared not one tear for them. I don't give a shit. They're not in my life. They're not impacting me. You know, so the so the the if you think about that on a continuum, the the people that we care deepest about, we're gonna grieve deepest for. And when I think about the life that we had and the depth of the grief that I still carry, that is worth the price of admission. That's the ticket of admission to a full loving life. You cannot love deeply and feel deeply and share deeply and have a commitment that is deep and supportive, like the one that I had with Brian and brush the grief away. They're two sides of the same coin. And to suggest that, that's the piece that gets me riled up when people are so dismissive about the grief because they are two sides of the same coin. And if you dismiss that side, you dismiss the other side. And so I don't want to lose this because it's it's a reflection of the, of what we had. Does that make sense? It does. And uh, to your point about like uh, with refer reference to my friend Arletta, she is the only name I will ever get tattooed on my body. I got it when a few years after she passed away, and. It's because she is the one that had such an impact on my life. And the only funeral I've ever been to that I walked out of the funeral because I was sobbing so loudly and so hard. It was, I couldn't be in there. And it's, it's that, as you said, that gratitude and the grief, it's the gratitude of the memories we have and the impact she had on my life and the impact she had on others' lives. And I remember uh, a few years after she passed, uh, her mom came into a restaurant I was working at and she, she, she's like, Arletta always believed in you. And because she's gone, you have to promise her that you're going to do something good with your life. 
<laughs> it was always, there was always a lot of guilt associated with it. And I know that's not something that all people that deal with grief have, but that was definitely a, a very hard part of probably for the first 10 years she passed after she passed was why did she die? Not me. Why did she pass? Because she made such a good influence on people instead of me. And it was something that I struggled with for so long, even with her mom telling me that of like, I'm going to do good in the world and things like that. And it's a lot that it took a long time to realize I'm, I lived because I have, I'm supposed to do something with my life. And I think she was taken far too soon and that happens. And I think that's, yes, I've tried to say she went to a better place or (laughs) she's, uh, you know, it's because of X or the medical reasons or, and it was because she had like a routine, like knee surgery and a blood clot went to her heart. So it was something very unexpected. It was, she was 15 and it's, it's something that I think a lot of people don't know how to talk about the grief, especially in the extent you did. And I'm very grateful that you did that because even you sharing your story about going to the scene where Brian was, I can, I can't even imagine that of how hard it is. And ooh, you're going to get me to cry of just that happening to Tyler and how much I realized I was like, nope, the ship has sailed. We have no sailboat, like rescue boats. And I'm going down with the ship. If anything happens <laughs> to your flight one, uh, the ship is the first thing that happened. And how has it impacted you outside of the rescue? You, you started the rescue and how do you find the courage to continue to do good? Cause it can be so hard to, to find the motivation to still do good when a person is missing from your life. Right. I mean, I think sometimes it is just going through the motions, right? And sometimes it feels like, you know, not that I'm depressed, but sometimes it just feels like, you know, I'm just waiting to die, right? I'm doing things, I'm making a difference. I'm, you know, doing that stuff, but it just, it feels like that there's just going through the motions. Um, one of the best Biggest, one of the biggest supports that I've, that I've had through all of this, huge. And if only people could fucking be more like that, and I'm going to tell you what that is, has been from our two dogs. They, that's, they're the best grief counselors on the planet because they don't give you any platitudes when I, when they, when I'm struggling or I'm down, you know, they just, the big black lab comes and sits next to me and puts her head on my lap. That's what I need. If people could only do that, you know, they should just say, what would Scott's big black lab do in this situation? <laughs> and just do that. You know, it's, 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 uh, noteworthy that you talked about you know the tattoo right as a way to kind of carry forward you know um obviously when we were coupled like it's 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 not traditional for two men to take on each other's names right who gets the last name like when you know a man and a woman married there's this tradition the woman takes on the man's last name and um, that's her maiden name. And she leaves that behind. And so um, I made a decision to 
um, changed my name uh, after Brian died, which after 9-11 is no small deal because they don't want terrorists changing their name to, you know, something that's going to let them get on an airplane and blow it up. And so the only way you can change your name is to uh, outside of like a marriage and a, and a, and a marriage certificate is you have to go to court mm-hmm. and tell the judge what you're changing your name to. And then they change your name. They send out the court order. And then you get like, I got a new birth certificate. Wait, what? I, because of real ID, because of real ID now with your birth certificate and your driver's license and your social security card and all of those, all those little pieces need to match up. So I, since it wasn't, since it was outside the bounds of marriage of, uh, and there was not a marriage certificate that could show that I had a different name, just this court order. The only other legal document attached to my name was my birth certificate. Um, and so I had to send the, uh, the court order to the state where I was born and they issued me a new birth certificate with my new last name. I hyphenated his last name. And of course they just don't do this flippantly, right? You know, they, you, know you have to go explain to the judge Right. So there I was, you know, telling the story, kind of like what I told here. And the judge was crying. The clerk of the court was crying. A friend that went me was crying. And she said, you know, what courage to continue to carry your husband with you. Because every time now you write your name, he'll be there right with you. Um, it was really a profound um, piece of wisdom. I hadn't even thought about that, the pragmatic aspect of writing my name and seeing him. Uh, seeing his name next to mine for the rest of my life. Um, but she's right. Every time I write my name, I see him. And this is, I, I have a curiosity question and I, I'm, I want to say it beforehand because it's, it is the instinct of wanting to find something that feels good afterwards. It is that instinct of just wanting to have the happiness. Yet it also is like wanting to feel the light in the darkness, not necessarily like there's still going to be shadows, you know, there's still going to be that darkness you could say will always be there, but there is the light. And there's also, for myself, still curiosity. How did you and Brian meet? He picked me up in a bar of all places. And um, uh, he'd asked me to dance with him. And I was actually trying to get, I was pursuing somebody else, which he would never let me forget. Oh, yeah, you are after this guy. I won't say his name because he might see this podcast. But anyway, you were after this guy. And um, he asked me to dance. And that was his kind of hall. It was, that was his pickup strategy, right? He'd ask someone to dance and that would be a go. That would go. And um, we hit it off very much from the start. And like I think the piece that he really appreciated about me that I brought, and then this really became a hallmark of our relationship even though it started with me, was that, you know, I wasn't, I never tried to change him. You know, even though, even there were things that I didn't like about him, you know, like, you know, and he, and he wasn't my, I had a list, you know, so often when we're looking for folks, we have a list. They need to be this, they need to run this, they need to, they need to eat this kind of food, they need to have these kind of beliefs, they have to drive this kind of car, whatever. I had a list and he didn't match the list at all. And, um, and I made a decision to throw the list away and then accept him however he was. Um, and then that really built into accepting each other 
through many trials and tribulations over 31 years together. Um, and um, many ups and downs and difficulties, but at each time there was an acceptance of what was. And so the, the, the more important piece around grief to remember is that, you know, grief's gonna come and go like with your, with your friend that you talked about, like clouds in the sky without getting too esoteric and philosophic. But, you know, it's gonna come and go. And what we need to have is acceptance with whatever that is and be present with whatever that is, knowing that it's gonna change. The good times are gonna change. They're not gonna last forever, right? And if we, if we grasp onto the good times and try to hold on to those good times, when those good times end, we're miserable. And this, when the bad times come, if we try to push those bad times away, we're miserable, right? It's like, you know, think of the last time you ever had a headache or maybe were you at, ever have ever had a headache and you were not happy about the headache. So instead of, you know, oh, I've got a headache, your response was, oh my God, I have a headache. Oh my God, it's so bad. I cannot believe how bad this headache is. Oh, it's gonna last. It's, it's it's been. I took two aspirin and it's still going on. That pushing away makes you more miserable with the headache. You're more miserable than just oh, I got a headache. I'm laughing because you're talking to the lady that had a craniotomy because of the headaches. <laughs> uh, yes, a hundred percent because it's. Um, especially with the headaches, there were times my vision would just go and it would be so painful. And I would get so upset because it wasn't letting me do my job. And I, I seriously felt my worth in my job. That's where I found my worth and mm -hmm. definitely not in your job. Uh, and once I was like, okay, these aren't going anywhere. I actually need to figure this out and see what's going on because this isn't normal I'm not going to push it away but I'm also not going to just sit here and accept it like I accept it in the fact of I'll be curious about it I think is the best mm -hmm. way to say it is to accept it and be curious about it that was very philosophic of you <laughs> good advice good advice it's easier said than done sometimes no it's it's so many things are easier said than done, right? It is. And, and thank you so much for, I feel like uh, that today, Scott, we were, we were on an emotional roller coaster because there's times you went into deep stuff and then you, you got me to laugh like halfway through it. And I'm like, I don't, what am I feeling right now? And that I think is another way that we show how dynamic we are as humans, how we feel grief and joy and humor. And there, uh, as I was saying earlier, there is darkness in the light and there's light in the darkness. It's it, to your cloud reference. It can be sunny and raining at the same time. And right. that, and it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a balance because, you know, it's, it's always changing. It's always it changing. It's not it constant. It is. And right. is there anything that you particularly wanted to go over today that we didn't? I think we hit, uh, there, there would be one piece that I would throw out just for a person, just to think about. And that, you know, I've spent a lot of time talking about, you know, accepting your grief and, and that grief's normal. But there's a piece to be aware of and that. And I just kind of hit on it when I talked about this pushing and grasping. And that is we also want to be clear that we're not fueling our grief. That we're mm -hmm. not doing, you know, like this, like the, the, why won't these headaches go away? Or, oh, it's bad part of my job and all the other stories that go along with that. That just fuels that misery around the headaches, right? And so we want to be careful that we're not fueling our grief with stuff because we could easily, you know, ramp up and be in total rainy misery, dark clouds 
all the time, right? Mm -hmm. It's like planes can go seed the clouds and then it rains and we can seed the clouds and then we're like, it's all dark and gloomy and all of this other stuff. Be aware of that because we don't want to feed grief. We want to experience just because the reality, like this conversation here today, is that life's a roller coaster. So when you talk, you we I would be really fucked up if I talked about funny things and didn't laugh. And I would be equally fucked up if I talked about sad things and the and the loss of Brian and didn't cry. And 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 it would be disastrous if I talked about Brian and laughed. Or I was talking about something that was funny and was crying because I had seeded the cloud so much that that's all I was doing. And the reality is we're full of such vibrant emotion. No emotion is wrong. And we want to be there to support each other and be present around the diversity of emotions that we have. And... uh, so that, that's, the, that's the closing piece that I would throw out to folks is that be present and be like my black lab and you won't have any trouble. I, I definitely want to add in there because I've, I 100% agree of, you know, during humor, you want to laugh and during grief or sadness, you want to cry. I know for myself, I've always struggled with detaching as a way to process. I am still working through it in therapy and it is becoming a bit more like, you know, (laughs) combined and not so separate. And there's very many times where I can tell my story as bullet points. I can tell you ins and outs of the story with bullet points. And yet I won't cry. And yet if you look at me funny or don't reply my text, I'll suddenly think the world is ending. I'm so detached and it is definitely a practice learning that emotions are okay, that it's okay to feel and also learning to feel the emotions, which is a very weird thing to do for myself. And it's, it's okay to get help in therapy, in our relationships around us, and specifically with your black lab. (laughs) We're all going to show up in Vermont and go hang out with your black lab. There you go. (laughs) And I I feel like you you did touch base on uh, our last words of encouragement. Is there anything else you want to add? No, this was, this was, I I would say this is really a, a great service that you provide talking about these things that, you know, people just don't want to talk about and they're important. They're really important. So you do, you know, you're doing good in the world. Like your friend's mother had said to you many years ago, you are doing good. Thank Thank you. you. And how do people reach out to you and find your book and all your books? Well, if you, I got to pick up my book again, hold on. If you Google my name, whoops, where's the phone? G. Scott Graham. And uh, with the period, you'll, Google will serve you up all my books. Um, and they're on Amazon. And you can also go to gscottgraham.com and all the links are there. And so uh, you can reach out to me that way easily. Awesome. And very last but not least, what is something that you're grateful for? Besides my black lab, I would say my little white Jack Russell Terrier, um, who both are just still the best support that I could ever, ever hope to get. Um, Every night they're in, in bed with me, right? So they fill up that space. You know, I wake up every morning feeling warm breaths on my neck <laughs> from the black lab and the little white dog the little white jack russell is down by my my knees right next to me so i can't move i'm way over <laughs> brian and i had it because we slept with the dogs and so you know we had a a california king size bed right and so now he's gone 
and I'm in bed with the Black Lab and the Jack Russell, and they have the entire bed, and I, I'm like this in the bed every night. So, and I'm I, grateful I, for that. I'm grateful for that. Do you think if you end up keeping the pig that you'll let the pig up on your bed too? You know, earlier on <laughs> in our relationship, we had a pig. We had a pig that we had rescued, and that pig slept with us. Aww. In a king size waterbed. Don't not see you're thinking about that. Don't think about it too much because otherwise it becomes too weird. But you know, <laughs> hooves, king size waterbed, yeah. But there was I, no I, pink, no punctures, no leaks, no nothing. I think waterbeds in general kind of weird me out because I've heard, oh, I am so that like trendy girl that loves the true crime podcast and there's been some about like bodies under the waterbed or if I think about a waterbed too much I think about how do they not puncture all the time and water go everywhere and I never had one so I think I I it takes too much to process <laughs> I I will um for my gratitude piece I am I'm grateful to find my emotion and put it back together with the events that have happened in my life and starting to feel them and go through them. And it is a shit show at times. Uh, Tyler has had to go through a lot to like learn, like what is, what, Jen, why are you so upset? And then halfway through like us arguing and I go, oh, it's because of this that happened when I was four. And it's all a process and working through it. And I am so grateful for learning to connect to myself. So, and thank you for sharing today because it was good to hear and really hard to hear. So thank you, Scott. And we'll You're talk welcome. soon. You're welcome. Hello again, beautiful human. What did you get out of today's episode? We'd love to hear what was most impactful to you. We all know someone that could have really used this episode, so please send it their way. Remind them that they're not alone. Stay tuned for new episodes every Wednesday. Here's a few ways that we could really use your support to keep shit you don't want to talk about going. Share an episode. Let's get the message out there. Donate on PayPal or Patreon. Subscribe and rate the show on iTunes or Spotify and follow us on social media. Shit to talk about. Shit, the number two, talk about. Bye.